Acts chapter 19. And if I have enough time, we'll be beginning Acts chapter 20. So turn with me now to the book of Acts chapter 19. And today we'll be beginning in verse number 17. Acts chapter 19, verse 17. The title of today's message is Acts of Yeshua's Emissary Shelachim, the Call Out Ones, chapter 19. And beginning in verse 17. And when all this had become known to the residents of Ephesus, what had become known was that these seven sons of Sceva, the spirit came upon them and beat them. So this had all had been known. The power of the demonic there over people that truly believed that they were in charge of things had been known to both Jews and Gentiles. What does the next verse, part of the verse there say? Fear fell upon all of them, Jews and Greeks alike. And the name of the Lord Yeshua came to be held in high regard. That's a question to us today. Do as we as believers in Messiah Yeshua, do we put him at the highest in regard in our lives today? Now let's see what the Spirit of the Living God did during that time, as both Jews and Gentiles, the fear of God came upon them. And let's see the results. In verse 18, many of those who had earlier made professions of faith now came and admitted publicly to their evil deeds. What does the body of Messiah need to do today? We need to confess our sins. To be truthful. So these are brand new baby believers in Messiah. And the spirit of living God came upon them with conviction. And so they profess their sins and said, this used to be my former life. Let's continue now in verse 19. And a considerable number of those who had engaged in, in occult practices threw their scrolls in a pyre and burned them in the public. That's a public confession of this was my old life. I'm not going to return to it. I'm burning these bridges of my own life, because I have a brand new life in Messiah. Let's go forward here. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, it came to 50,000 drachmas. So now let's look into some commentary here. Practice of sorcery. The public burning of magical books shows that new believers were taught immediately. And who taught them? I believe this... The scripture here is revealing that the Spirit spoke to their hearts. You know what? You can, you can quote scripture to people. You bring them to the truth. But who brings about conviction? I don't have that ability. 
No man or woman or child on this earth has the ability to bring conviction on people's hearts. That is a work of the Ruach. Remember, Yeshua said this before he's left his Talmudim, before he ascended to the Father. He says, wait until you receive the Ruach. I'm not leaving you alone, but I will send you one person who shall lead you into what? All truth. And that's why when we speak the word of God and we don't see the immediate results, that's not for us. Because what the word of God is doing is permeating into the hearts and minds and the soul of that recipient. Then that person decides, as the spirit of the living God is bringing conviction upon their heart, whether they will reject that word of God or they'll receive it. That's of their own choice. How many times in the past have you gone and you shared your testimony or shared the testimony of what God's word says and then simply step back and allow the spirit of the living God to do his work? Going on here in the commentary. They, these new believers were taught immediately to turn away from the occult practices, witchcraft. What's happening in Europe right now and in America and the whole world? People are turning to witchcraft and paganism. It's making resurgent. What's the answer to that? What is God's answer? His word. Being expressed by whom? God's people. Let's move forward here. Witchcraft, black magic, and sorcery, spiritualism, and other occult practices are satanic activities, completely incompatible with messianic faith. And you know what's amazing? In the charismatic congregations, they're introducing paganism and calling it godly. They're Christian tarot cards. There's these out-of-body experiences that come from occult practices. See, Hasatan has come into the church, these churches. And what does he desire to do? To dissuade. He wants to pull the wool over people's eyes. People are seeing all these angels coming. Notice this, that, that Lucifer, Hasatan, is an angel of light. How do we know the difference? If we have a dream, we have a vision, we have a visitation, how do we know whether or not that is of God or of not? Only by and knowing God's word and listening to the spirit of the living God, can we discern what is from God and the messengers from God? And this is a very important for us for this such a time as this. Because the body of Messiah is in the process right now of apostatizing, leaving and fleeing the Lord. And that's why this chapter right now is of great significance. 
because there are false prophets. There are false apostles out there. There are false rabbis. And there are false pastors and biblical teachers all out there to dissuade and to misguide and to take people off God's focus. But we see here, God reaches in to this community and he allows a few people, just a few handful of people here who are filled with the spirit of the living God to change that whole society as a whole. And as we get into the further portion here in the ending of chapter 19, the spirit records historically what took place with those who received God's word and did not reject it and allow the spirit of the living God to change their hearts, to bring about right conviction. See, because the enemy brings in what condemnation? The spirit of the living God brings conviction, brings enough pressure to us, shows us where we have erred and walked away from God. And that is all to reveal us, to bring us closer to God in broken, contrite hearts. Think about this. These people who stood there as this big bonfire was going on, their whole lives, their former lives, they were throwing in the flames because God had given them new lives in Messiah. What is the hope for Europe today in America? For the lost who are practicing these occult witchcraft practices? What is the only answer, the only hope for them? But the good news. Let's continue here. One cannot be a true believer in Messiah and at the same time deal with spirits or attempt to gain contact with the dead. That's going on today. There are people in the charismatic community who are laying on graves of former people who are believers and thinking they're, they're soaking up their anointing. That's ludicrous. That's not biblical. That's pagan practices. And they have to be called out for what they are. There is delusion going on in the body of Messiah. As scripture said that in the last days, that there would be what? A great falling away. There would be a great apostasy before the day of Adonai, when the Lord returns to judge this earth. Let's go forward here. God condemns all such activity of speaking with the dead. Where is that recorded? Deuteronomy chapter 18, 9 through 13. Let's turn there right now. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 13. And notice this, that when Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, is speaking out these words to these individuals, these Gentiles who do not even know the word of God, he's being, he's being able to share these things to them, where God says, come out 
from your darkness and walk therein light. So Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9. And this is God warning his people, Israel, as they're entering to the land. When you enter the land of Adonai, your God is giving you. You're not to learn how to follow the abominable practices of those nations. And think about this. Where is Rav Shaul at this time? He's among the nations. These dark nations. And he's revealing them the one true light, the one true God. Let's go forward here. Verse 10. Therefore, there must not be found among any of you who makes a son or daughter pass through the fire. What's that speaking of? Sacrificing your children to Baal. Going forward here. A diviner or a soothsayer, an enchanter or a sorcerer, a spellcaster a consulter of ghosts or spirits. You know what's really popular now on TV? Is these people going out and trying to record what these demonic spirits are saying, these ghosts. Let's move forward here. Or a necromancer. That's someone who speaks and hears words from those who are dead. Let's go forward here. For whoever does these things is detestable to Adonai. So charismatic body of Messiah, are you listening? This is abominable to God. Let's go forward here. Whoever does these things is detestable to Adonai because of these abominations, Adonai, your God, is driving them out ahead of you. He's saying this because they walk therein. Isn't it sad? Parts of the body of Messiah is entering into the demonic and calling it as God. These fallen angels they're following after. These words of prophetic utterance are coming from this. There are men who are claiming that they're going to be adding on to God's word. Because God has brand new books for them in heaven. It's ridiculous. It's foolishness. And you know what it points to? If you ever listen to what these people say, they point to themselves they want to build themselves up in your eyes to where you simply follow everything what they have to say. They no longer proclaim the good news. They simply proclaim their, their prophecies, their visions, their dreams. This is leading the body of Messiah astray. And that's why I believe in Acts chapter 19 that the spirit of living God for such a time as today, is revealing Gentiles coming out from paganism and how the Spirit of the living God revealed that to them. Let's go forward here in Deuteronomy. You must be wholehearted with Adonai your God, for these nations which you're about to depossess, listen to the soothsayers and the diviners. There's men and women who claim to be of God who are both prophets and apostles 
who are leading people astray. Going forward. But you, I don't know your God does not allow you to do this. Now let's continue in verse 15. Adonai will raise up for you a prophet like me. Moses is speaking of himself, but he's also saying about Messiah Yeshua, who shall come and lead you into all truth. Adonai will rise up for you a prophet like me from among yourselves, from your own kinsmen. You are to pay attention to him, just as when you were assembled at Horeb and requested Adonai your God. Don't let me hear the voice of Adonai my God anymore, or let me see this great fire ever again. If I do, I will die. And on that occasion, Adonai said to me, they are right in what they are saying. I will rise up for them a prophet like you from among their kinsmen, and I will put my words in his mouth. What did Yeshua say when he was here on this earth? He said simply this, I see what the Father is doing, and I simply do that. He did not speak his own words. He wasn't drawing people unto himself, but he was drawing people unto the Father. These false prophets, false apostles, they bring people unto themselves so they can what? So they can fleece you. They can take your money and rob you blind. Let's go forward here. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I order him. See, that's a true servant of God. Points people towards the Father and God's kingdom. Let's go forward here. Whoever does not listen to my words, which he will speak in my name, will have an account for himself to me. So they're going forward. We see this, that the dabbling in the occult and spiritualism will lead one person to a powerful satanic influence, which could, as a believer, can lead you into oppression. And as a non-believer, leads you into possession of these demonic spirits. Praise be unto God. So now let us look here at verse number 19 in Acts 19. And a considerable number of those who had engaged in occult practices threw their scrolls in a pile and burned them in the public. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, it came to 50,000 drachmas. So what was a drachma? It was a day's wages for common labor. Therefore, think of 50,000 drachmas, or at least $2 million. And you know, majority of people that were living in that community were day laborers. And so these who were former pagans, who were Gentiles, who took the thing that they valued the most in their homes and took, brought it out and threw it in the fire. They, that was a loss for them. But they're willing to suffer rejection and exposure so that they can walk in the provision of God. So let's move forward here. 
On the other hand, the book and the scrolls, since they were individually produced, were relevantly much more expensive than now. For now, for your consideration, if the average believer had $200 worth of occult books, these are brand new believers, had $200 worth of occult books to burn, the congregation then numbered up to 10,000. Ephesus was a major center for occult religion. The destruction of these books was one of the most best investments of these pagan believers have ever priorly made in their lives. Not only did they forsake publicly their former pagan ways, but the demonic contents of those scrolls went up in flames, never to poison the minds of anyone again. See, they didn't run to the marketplace and say, hey, you know what? I feel conviction, but you know what? I want to profit off of this situation, my former life. No, they destroyed because they did not want them, anyone else, to go into that darkness that leads to destruction. See, this is a transformed life of an individual. Let's go forward here. We were, we're not told that anyone suggested the selling of these scrolls to pagans or the laundering of the proceeds by using them in advance of the good news. So now going back to Acts chapter 1920, thus the message about the Lord continued in a powerful way and grew in influence. Think about that. Here, Ephesus is a, a center of occult practice for that whole known region. And here's a transformation here where pagan believers, former pagan believers, are now burning this. What testimony is that giving to all those people around about them? This affects not only what, what's going on in their daily lives, but also the economic infrastructure. Because that was their gross national product of Ephesus, was a cult uh, paraphernalia. Let's go forward here in verse 21. Sometime later, Shaul decided by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Acacia, then go on to Jerusalem. And after I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome. So he dispatched two of his helpers, Timothy and Aratus, to Macedonia. But he himself remained in the providence of Asia for a while. It was at this time that a major fervor arose concerning the way. What is the way? the way, the truth, and the life, believing and putting your trust in Messiah and coming to faith that Abba, Father, God is God. And so this just set a whole, like a tsunami of spiritual growth. And just think how Hasatan was just kind of blown out and all these demonic spirits that were watching all this happening. Going forward here. Now, verse 24, now it gives us a historical record of the thoughts and opinions that was happening with those people who were secular pagans that were living in that community. Verse 24, there was a silversmith named Demetrius who had manufactured silver from silver objects connected with worship of the goddess Armitas. And he provided no small amount of work for the craftsmen. 
He called a meeting of them who engage in similar trades and said, men, do you understand that this line of business provides us a living? And you can see and hear for yourselves that not only here in Ephesus, but practically in the whole providence of Asia, this Shaul has convinced and turned away a considerable crowd by saying that the man-made gods are not gods at all. So he's trying to appeal to them that, hey, you know, we're going to be out of business. This is how we earn our living. We've invested our whole lives, generation after generation, because you know what? These trades were passed on from father to son. And they had a certain status in the community there. Going forward here, verse 27. Now the danger is not that the reputation of our trade will suffer, but that the temple of our great goddess Artemis will come to be taken lightly. It could end up with the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and indeed throughout the whole world being ignominiously brought down from her divine majesty. See, he tries to dissuade them and say, let's now focus on our God who has provided for us, who our whole business the face of our business, it's her. Let's continue here. Verse 28, hearing this, they were filled with what? Joy? Happiness? Contentment? No, rage. And they began bellowing, great is Artemis of Ephesus. Soon the whole city was in uproar. As one man and the mob rushed into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Articus, Saul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Shaul himself wanted to appear before the crowd, but the Talmudim would not let them. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of his, sent the message begging him not to risk and enter the theater. Meanwhile, some of those were shouting one thing and others something else because the assembly was in complete confusion. A great majority didn't even know why they were there. They were just following the crowd. Hey, everyone's going there. Hey, something's going on. Hey, let's go see what it's all about. Verse 33. Some of the crowd explained the situation to Alexander, whom the Jews had pushed to the front. So Alexander motioned for silence, hoping to make a defense speech to the people. But as soon as they recognized that he was a Jew, remember, who had brought this whole downfall of our economic system, but a fellow Jew, Shaul. But as soon as they recognized that he was a Jew, they began bellowing in unison, great as Artemis of Ephesus, and they kept it up for about two hours. At last, at last the city clerk was able to quiet the crowd. Men of Ephesus, he said, is there anyone who doesn't know that the city of Ephesus is a guardian of the temple, the great Artemis, and the sacred stone which fell from the sky? Since this is beyond dispute, you had better calm down and do not anything rash, for you have brought these men here who have neither robbed the temple nor insulted your goddess. 
So if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and the judges are there. Let them bring their charges and counter charges. But this, but it, but is there something more you want? It will have to be settled in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being accused of rioting on account what has happened today. There is no justification for it. And if we are asked, we are unable to give any reasonable explanation for this disorderly gathering. And with these words, he dismissed the assembly. So as we dig here a little bit deeper in verses 23 through 41, Luke now shows that there was an opposition to the good news, not only from non-believing Jews, but also from non-believing Gentiles. Acting on their own without Jewish indignation. It is necessary to point this out because why? Because some Jewish scholars, for example, Joseph Klasner, he wrote a book from Jesus to Paul. It was uh, written and published by Beacon Press, 1961. And on page 229, he says this. He maintains that the book of Acts was written around late 95 common era. At the time when it was presumably no longer hope for reaching Jews with the good news. So that nothing would be lost in depicting Jews in the most pos pos worst possible light. But Luke is reporting now these events in history of the spread of the good news and has no reason to do such a thing. See, this was uh, this one gentleman here, Joseph Klausner, was saying, well, this is the book of Luke is an anti-Semitic book. And it's not. It's not at all. It shows the transformation of Jewish people becoming Messianic Jews. And it shows the transformation of those who heard the good news, those who received it, who were Jews, became Messianic Jews, and they believed that Yeshua is the Messiah. But it also accurately records those who did not receive the good news, and they rejected it. It also shows that those from the pagan world, which were all Gentiles, that received the good news and were convicted by the Spirit and how this transformed their lives, their economic system. It also shows that those who were God-fearers, those who were former pagans, who came to know the one true God, and the transformation of them going from pagan, pagans to becoming God-fearers, and the transformation of them later being included in the Messianic community. So all these things need to be laid out historically in the context of its times so we would have a greater understanding. And how does that reflect to us today? You will be facing individuals that wear uh, pagan-type artifacts on their clothes. They pierce themselves in a certain way. They have certain demonic uh, tattoos on their body. 
and how they conduct themselves. So here is a template how we are to simply do what? Nothing different than what Rav Shaul did in his day, but simply live out the good news, be a light to the world, both Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah, the hope that is in you, the light of the world that dwells within you, and then proclaiming the good news to them. So the spirit of living God, as we sow seeds of the good news, the scripture, in these people's hearts and minds, that the spirit comes alongside and waters, convicts, and brings about growth so that there can be conviction and transformation. Now, the outcome of what, 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 what comes to pass is not on your or my heads. Because while, while, while us being, being able to share the good news and proclaim the good news to everyone, we can say just as Rav Shaul did about his own Jewish people, their blood is not upon my head. Because I was a watchman on the wall. I was able to share with them the good news of God's redemptive plan. One way for all Jews and Gentiles to come to know Abba, Father God. And that is through Messiah Yeshua. So nothing has changed. And what we're to be doing today is to be fully focused on that. Now, ending the last portion here of Acts chapter 19. Demetrius's real motive was greed. He didn't want to lose his status, his economic way of doing things. So it, is, it, was, it was now he was trying to conceal that for propaganda. So he tried to push it on to, well, they're, they're putting down our god Artemis here. It was simply a veneer of his own civic pride. So going forward in verse 34, as soon as they recognized that he was a Jew, as in Philippi, Acts 16, 12 through 13, and Acts 16, 20 through 22, anti-Semitism was at home among these pagans. You know what's, what's happening in Europe? Anti-Semitism is now arising. And a lot of the mainline denomination of churches throughout Europe are embracing and, it, and expressing anti-Semitic anti thought. And you'll be hearing sermons. They're very anti-Semitic. Pagan anti-Semitism is not directed specifically only on Shaul or his partic particular version of Judaism, but at all Jews and at all Judaism generally. And then finally, a historical fact, the temple of the great Artemis. Artemis is the same as Diana in the Roman pantheon. In Ephesus was the center of Artemis worship, and this temple was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, ancient world. And that sacred stone that they once had is to believe to be a meteor, the remains of a meteor that fall from the sky. And so there ends chapter 19.
of Acts. And with this, God has given us instruction that we're not to fear those who live a pagan lifestyle, but they are simply deceived. And Yeshua died upon their tree, and he rose from the dead so that they can have new life in Messiah. Just as God transformed these individuals in Ephesus. And you know what? One day we're going to meet those individuals. They're eternal beings. Yeah, their bones are, 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 are now the only thing that is left. One day when Messiah comes and he calls out his bride. Think about that. In modern day Turkey, there are going to be these New Testament believers from a pagan background will rise up from the dead and they will ascend to be with their Messiah in the sky. Think about that. Throughout this whole known earth, graves will empty and flesh will come upon these people's bones yet again. Their spirit that descended before the Lord at the time the Lord closed their eyes will be reunited with their literal body. And those of us who are living during that day shall ascend to be with Messiah Yeshua forevermore. This is your destiny. Are you ready? Are you ready now to use these days in proclaiming the good news? To be about your father's business, because our father has the answer. And the answer is this. He sent his son to die upon the tree. He, he died. He rose from the dead so that every man and woman and child on the face of this earth who he deeply loves can come to his redemption and be born again. That's God's focal point for us today. It's not politics. It's proclaiming the good news and redeeming. To go out there as laborers. So we as the body of Messiah need to be focused on that. To re-educate ourselves. To be renewed in our minds and hearts. To be filled with his Rolock, His spirit. That's what we need more than anything else, more than our next breath, more than food, more than clothing, more than employment. We need to be filled with the spirit of the living God. Because at any moment, he's going to be calling us all home to be with him. We're on the cusp of the rapture happening at any time. You know what's really sad? That in most Congregations throughout the world, they don't teach on the rapture anymore. They don't believe in it. It's so sad. Because you know what? They're going to be left, be left behind. You know that parable about the ten virgins? They're about the way to go to that wedding feast. They'll be left behind. Because the spirit of the living God doesn't dwell within them. So, Father, we just pray right now that the body of Messiah, your bride, who is not allowed to be, allow themselves to be renewed by the Spirit of the living God, you would wake up these individuals. You would rebuke these pastors, 
these false prophets, these false apostles that at one time knew you. Bring conviction upon their heart. Father, we pray, not in, not in pride, but as the scripture says, as, as drawing those back who are about to perish in the flame of their own destruction, we entreat you, O Spirit of the living God, speak to their hearts. Shake them from the core of their soul, mind, and spirit. May they not be lost. May they return to their first love, who is Messiah Yeshua. May the Spirit of the living God bring about conviction. May they repent of their false teachings, false prophecies, prophecies, false visions, false dreams, damnable doctrines that do not lift up God's kingdom that Yeshua orchestrated. They have forsaken the spirit of the living God. Ebenezer is written over their heads for the spirit of the living God has departed. But Father, it's our heart's desire that they would go and they would do teshuva. They would do fruits of repentance, almighty God. And Father, we humbly ask these prayers, not judging them, but being alarmed that our brothers and sisters could be so deceived as they are right now. Father, we ask that you redeem them, that they would hear your voice. They'd hear the spirit, the voice of the living God. And they'd be reconciled. Reconciled. That they would not walk away from the calling upon their lives. That you would take them off that path of destruction and bring them to the path of righteousness that leads to your kingdom. We ask and we humbly pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.